Well, good morning, everybody. All right. Hey, I am glad you are here this morning. My name is Austin. I'm the pastor at our North Raleigh location. And this morning, we are quite literally in the middle of a three-week teaching series that is huge for us. We're calling it The Core. And what we're doing is looking at the three fundamental beliefs of our church. And we believe this, that if we get these three things right, they will make us strong in every way possible. And so we're looking, last week we looked at the idea that Jesus changes everything. This week we're going to look at a new idea that, that you and I actually grow best in, in community. And so we'll keep talking about both of those things this morning. And I, I just want to pause for a second and I want to pray for you as we jump into teaching this morning. God, as we gather together and look into your word. Lord, I pray today that you would make it come alive, that Lord, where you may find us today isolated in different areas of our lives, that you would draw the right people around us so that we can become increasingly the men and women you have always created and designed us to be. Lord, would you change a city as a result? Amen. I was thinking this past weekend, um, over the last few days, that about three years ago, I went on a little bit of a journey that, that really altered a lot of the relationships that I have in my life, brought some new people in, and changed kind of my perspective on a lot of things going on in the world. Three years ago was about the time that in Iraq, northern Iraq, there were three, or there were about three different groups of people trapped on top of a hill. There were some Yazidis and Christians pushed out by ISIS, and we were airdropping by helicopter uh, large packages of food. And I remember sitting in my living room in Kansas looking at Ashley, and I just started grumbling and griping. Anything in life that I've experienced that, that gets me going that way, I just kind of start talking through it. But I remember it was a unique experience. It felt like a, a holy just discontent. It didn't feel right. And I said, Ashley, this is wrong. And Ashley and I had grown up with this friend of ours named Dave. Dave's about 10 years older than I am. He looks like I do. He's bald, can't grow any hair on top. And, and Dave is a dentist by day, but he only does it to, to fund his habit, which is being a missionary all over the world. Dave's crazy. I mean, when I say crazy, he's not like, I'll take a flight to a safe place where people need help and go help them. Dave has bribed military officials to sneak into Burma and stood with other men with guns and stood between people trying to do mass murder of, of genocide and serve those people, pulled their teeth, cared for them. He's delivered babies. He does this in the scariest, sketchiest places from one side of the globe to the other. He's an amazing man. His wife, Marty, goes along with him on every single trip. She's from Russia. She defected when it was the Soviet Union. And she's quite literally, like she's the old school movie person. She's an international arms dealer. Legitimately, that is her job. She's got the Russian accent. If she's not a spy, I will be surprised. I mean, just... <laughs> So I called Dave. I don't know what I was thinking, but I called Dave when we were watching the news. And I, I really, I just called to grumble and gripe. And I said, Dave, someone should do something about this. Really, you know, when you say that to people, what you're saying is, you should go do something about this. <laughs> but yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's like when your kids complain to you, they're like, mom, fix this. And so I'm talking to Dave and he asked me this question out of left field that I never thought was coming. He said, Austin, how do you feel about mercenaries? I said, well, um, what did you say? And he said, well, technically military contractors. They don't call them that anymore. What do you feel about those guys? And I said, well, I, I don't have a formed opinion. I didn't call to talk about that. And he said, well, that's good. I'm glad you said so because I have some friends that do that for a living and they're going to go make a difference somewhere to help those specific people. Now, do you really want to make a difference? 
well, what do you say to that? <laughs> no, I just called because CNN was driving me crazy. I couldn't stand watching Fox News. I called you. I said, sure, I want to make a difference, Dave. Don't we all want to make it? You always say yes to that question, but not to Dave. He said, okay, in five minutes, this guy James is going to call you. You can't say no, and you need to be prepared. He's pretty rough around the edges. I don't even know what that means. So I hang up the phone, and this guy, James, apparently got my phone number from Dave, and he said, hey, you one of those Christian people that needs to be nice all the time? And I said, no, some people think I'm mean from every once in a while, you know? And, and he said, that's good. We're going to northern Iraq. I need you to come with me. Uh, there aren't any Christians on this trip, but we need, um, we need a chaplain. Do you think you'll go? And I can't describe it, but I knew I had to say yes, and so I did. I said, sure, I'll, I'll go. When is it? You know, next year? When, when are we? He said, you got two and a half weeks. I said, okay. He said, you need to buy your plane ticket. We're flying in in two and a half weeks. And I hung up the phone. And I looked at Ashley and I said, um, I think I'm going to Iraq. <laughs> she said, who are you going with? Mercenaries. <laughs> and within 24 hours, I'd purchased my plane ticket to go from Wichita to Texas to Qatar to northern Iraq. And then I, you know, the kind of dust settled. I started like thinking logically, you know, you just got to think logically. And I called Dave and I said, hey, Dave, you know, crazy dentist guy. I said, hey, I need to know, I still have time to change my ticket. Should I fly to Kentucky where you live so we can fly out together? To which he said something else surprising. I'm not going on that trip. Are you crazy? <laughs> he said, I'm running logistics from the state side, which means I'm going to watch you guys from a computer. And he said, oh, before you hang up, there's something you need to do. Um, James wanted me to run over this important detail with you. And I said, what do you need? And he said, well, first, they're going to need your dental records, and they're going to need your blood type, and they're going to need some hair samples uh, for DNA. And I said, Dave, you've seen my hair. We have the same barber. <laughs> he said, raise your hand, get some DNA. <laughs> and I remember hanging up the phone kind of bewildered. I scheduled an appointment at the dentist office. I cut off some hair, and I mailed it with my blood type, and three weeks later, I was on a plane, 16 hours from Houston to Qatar with no one with me to meet a bunch of people that I'd never met in my life who do a job that I don't quite understand, and I remember boarding the plane with this distinct thought in my head, what if I never come back? What if I get there and I don't find these guys? What if it's a scam and they're not even there? I don't know any of them. I remember thinking, what if I never see my wife again? Or what if this doesn't happen again? And, and there was the distinct like, worry again and again that this was a practical joke. I just sent my armpit hair to a total stranger. <laughs> and about eight hours in, I can tell you this, that, that knowing that the places we were going were hostile to an American pastor, most especially... I was going to do everything in my power to find the men that I was meeting as fast as I possibly could. And I remember getting to the airport and walking around, staying very quiet. I'm normally not a quiet person. And I remember seeing the two guys. I'd only seen them on a Skype call that I was meeting there. And I've never been so happy to see two people in my life because all I wanted was someone who knew me a little bit, someone who I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt was on the same mission that I was, that was going to the same place that I was, that wanted to accomplish the same things that I wanted to accomplish. And when I found them, it changed the entire course of the trip. I've never seen one of those men again in person since that trip, but we talk all the time on the phone. 
We text message, we do Facebook. And that trip, most especially the flight, taught me something that I think is innate within all of us. It's something that God has wired deeply within our DNA. It's a beacon of sorts, and it's this, that you and I know in our heart of hearts that we weren't meant to do life by ourselves. We weren't meant to go through this life alone. When we go into moments of crisis or moments of stress, when we go into moments of panic or moments of celebration, what do we naturally do? We look to gather other people around us. See, none of us should do life by ourselves. As as an economy, we can't do it. As a country, we can't do it. And as a society, we know that this cannot work alone. So much so that the United Nations has said this, that if you keep a prisoner isolated for 15 days or longer, it's considered cruel and unusual punishment, something that's almost at level with a war crime. And this morning, we're going to spend just a few minutes together looking at how Scripture really kind of connects this need within us to be connected to other people and God's desire to see us live out the life He's always created us for. And we're going to look in in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, and we've got some ushers who are going to bring Bibles down the aisles at this time. And if you need a Bible, you can just kind of raise your hand. You can borrow it. You can keep it. You can bring it home and give it to a friend. Um, That's what they're there for. See, for most of us, I think that when it comes to the places we want to go in life, the adjustments we want to make are the men and women we dream of one day becoming. We can pretty quickly look at a few ingredients that we go to again and again and again. And and the first ingredient we typically look at for life change is the ingredient of commitment. You know, we're like, okay, if I need to make a change, if I need to be somebody else, if I need to go in a different direction, if I just commit enough, If I commit to the diet or the exercise plan, or maybe you make a commitment to read your Bible or pray or cut away time with your kids, whatever the goal may be, we think commitment oftentimes is enough. But if you're like me, you've probably committed to all kinds of things only to watch some of them fizzle out. It's not that commitment can't go so far, but it doesn't complete everything in our lives. It doesn't always change the most difficult parts of our lives. And when commitment doesn't work, sometimes we move on to the next thing. We look for conviction. We go, you know what, if something moves my heart enough, I'll make a bold decision that will last my entire life. If if I believe in it enough or I'm uh, appalled by it enough, I will possess the conviction to change who I am, to change what I do, to change the way I work through things. What we've all experienced again and again is that conviction on its own is never enough can't be convicted of something enough and have that propel us all the way through life. It's not by itself enough. See, commitment and conviction are not things that aren't powerful. They are powerful. They have the ability to to enact great change. But why, with those things being as powerful as they are, do we find that them alone still leaves us fizzling out at the end? See, if commitment and conviction were enough on their own, all of our bad habits would be gone. That would mean your spouse would never say, would you please stop dot, dot, dot? Nobody's been there, right? Or, or your mom or your mother-in-law, let's just get real personal. Oh, I just wish you wouldn't do whatever, fill in the blank. If commitment and conviction were enough, we would never have those conversations again. If commitment and conviction were enough, we'd all be CEOs and titans of industry. Everyone would have started five companies and we'd all be incredibly wealthy by now. But conviction and commitment are not enough. 
If commitment and conviction were enough, I would be ripped. I would wear a little bit slimmer shirt, and there would be a little less soft stuff right here in the middle. Anybody got the before pictures? Yeah, got a few more before pictures than after pictures. I got a lot of before pictures, not so many after pictures. If commitment or conviction were enough on their own, we'd all have after pictures and be running around feeling like a million bucks. But when it comes to our recipe for life, when it comes to the recipe that changes our lives in the best possible ways, in a way that's sustainable, lasting, and powerful, oftentimes we stop with commitment and we stop with conviction and we miss out on an ingredient that I believe God has designed us for from the very beginning to work with the other two to change us forever, and that ingredient is connection. See, I can look back on my life at the times when I had like those pinnacle high health moments, and I don't go, you know what, it was 2014 and you know, things were good and I had a twinkle in my eye and I had some conviction and I made it work. Or I, or I really committed that time and I got better. But I can tell you about when a friend of mine named John came into my life who was a personal trainer and he just ate different than I did. And he continued to talk to me about what it meant to eat in a healthy way. And, and another friend of mine came into my life at one point named Shane. And neither of us were in shape at that point in time. But we all wanted the same thing. And so we started working out together and holding each other accountable. He lost 100 pounds during that time frame. See, it's not conviction that changes lives all by itself. And it's not commitment all by itself. But oftentimes the missing ingredient, the thing that is most powerful than anything else, is the ingredient of connection. And Hebrews chapter 3 begins to draw a pretty direct link between the life that God has designed us for and our non-negotiable need for other people in our lives to see it through. Hebrews 3.12 says this, starts in a way that maybe you won't expect. It says this, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Paul kind of looks at them and says, hey, here's this goal on the horizon, but if you're going to get to it, you're going to need some checks and balances in life. And, and, and he says, look, this isn't for one person individually. He didn't write a letter to one guy. He begins to address an entire church. He says, hey, brothers and sisters, all of you, you need to be in this thing together. Why? He says, make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. The, the phrase there, turning away in the Greek, literally means to, to drift or to fall. Like the, the Greeks would have understood that to be a term that would describe a waterfall. Not the ones that like Niagara dumps off at the end, it goes right into the pool at the bottom, but the ones that we love to look at that kind of ripple all the way down. It's a slow turning, a slow change. And Paul begins to, to describe to us the idea that, that the change that happens in our lives, this, this movement away from the goals that we desire, this movement away from the life that God has designed us for is rarely immediate. It's rarely all at once. It's often slow and progressive, little by little by little. It's like when you go to the beach, you go swimming in the ocean, and by the time you get back in, you're a pretty far way down the shoreline that our hearts are almost fluid in their state, always drifting one way or the other, and none of us ex is exempt. See, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I'm kind of done with commitment today. I think I'm going to bail on my kids. Think today's, I mean, you know, it's a Sunday. Seems like a good day to walk away from my marriage. 
maybe I'll do this. I'm going to blow through all my savings that I worked my whole life for, and I'm just going to buy you know, car upon car upon car, house upon house upon house, because I'm done with commitment. Nobody does that. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I think it's time to move beyond this whole conviction thing. I'd like to live a life today that I'm adamantly opposed to. You know, maybe next week I'm just going to go to live a life that I totally don't believe in. But have you ever met someone who wound up that way? The conviction was clear. The commitment was clear. The purpose in life was clear. Their direction was clear. And then somehow, days, weeks, months, years down the line, you look at them and you're like, you're nothing like who you said you were going to be. Anybody ever been that person before? Because I know for me, there are areas of my life that, that I have been. And what the writer of Hebrews begins to remind them of is, is that we need more than our own conviction. We need more than our own commitment if we're going to be the men and women God has designed us to be. See, I've had an interesting perspective over the last 14 months. About 14 months ago, Ashley and I closed a church that we had spent four years opening in Kansas. And towards the last two months, we were very intentional. Everybody knew what was going on. And we said, hey, guys, we have poured into you for four years. It's not going to be able to go any further. And we need to help connect you with another church body. You need these people in your lives. And so we went to other churches with them. We introduced them to other leaders and other pastors and helped them get into groups. And some of those people stuck and they went to those churches and they invested and they planted their families into those communities. And as a result, they kept tracking in the spiritual direction that they had been for years at that point. But there's a handful of people that my heart breaks for because in the in-between, they didn't translate into somewhere else. And no one woke up the next morning after our church closed and said, you know what, I'm done. None of them. We stayed in touch. We reached out. We had conversations. But little by little by little, there was a drifting of the heart where no one else noticed. Over the last 14 months, some people have gone back to old ways, old habits, old things that were wrecking their marriages, old things that kept them angry with their kids, things that they didn't want to be a part of their lives 14 months ago. What Paul tells us, this writer tells us, is that none of us are exempt from this turning, this slow turning of our hearts. You're included in that mix, and so am I. And so in the next verse, he gives us a prescription, all right? So here's the relief. Here's where we get the fix. He says this, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. The word warn there, if you were Greek and reading that, you would understand it really has two meanings. There's the idea to warn, like, hey, don't do that. And there's the idea to encourage, like, hey, keep doing that. And it really has a dual meaning. We just don't get it when we read it in English. But both are completely intended. And, and the writer says to him, hey, warn each other. Encourage each other in the right way. Warn each other when it starts going the other way. Be there with each other. The assumption is this, that someone would be in your life and someone would be in my life close enough to notice when we start to drift. It's like the mom on the shoreline, again, watching her kids, making sure they don't drift too far down. As we read throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament alike, what we find is that this is the community that God constantly draws his people back into. See, all of us need someone at times to say to us, hey, that's it, you're doing it. You said you were going that way. You said you were headed that direction and you're pulling it off. I just want you to know, don't quit. 
But we also need people to look at us at times and say, hey, are you, are you all right? Because you said you weren't going that way, and I think you're headed that direction. We all need someone to say, hey, I've heard this, or I've noticed this, or I've seen that. Can we talk? Other times we need people to say, hey, you know what? I've seen you. You have taken steps forward as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a businessman, as a leader in your private times, in your quiet times with the Lord. Man, I just want to celebrate that with you because you are doing what you said you're going to do. I think naturally sometimes when we see in other people this drift, the assumption we make is this. They, they failed. They didn't have enough commitment. Or we go, hey, you know what? Maybe they didn't have enough conviction. If they just had that commitment or they would have had that conviction, they wouldn't have done whatever it is that we've all probably done before. The reality is this. Oftentimes, it's neither of those things. It's that we need the connection that helps the commitment and conviction translate into a lifetime of activity, translates into a lifetime of life change, a lifetime of being the men and women God's calling us to be. Oftentimes, the missing ingredient, again, is not either of those two things. It is the connection that gives us the fuel and the power to see the others through. He tells them something very interesting. It's very different than our translation, our, our understanding of church. When he talks about this church body, this community that he's writing the letter to, he, he says that you must warn each other every day while it's still today. That means you need somebody in your life close enough on a regular basis. He talks about the nature of relationship and the duration of relationship. That on any given moment, someone could notice when things start going wrong or when things start going increasingly right in your life because it's so helpful. Oftentimes, we think the church is a place, like we came to LifePoint Church. It's why it's part of our DNA to start new locations and portable places because church isn't a building. Sometimes we think church is a time, like we, we know from 9.30 to 11, we're going to meet here and hang out. But church is not a time. It's every time. The New Testament understanding of church literally meant the gathering, the people that came together. Church is greater than a space or a place or a building. If this place burns down, the church goes on. You know that? Why? Because church is about the connections that we have that help us connect with God. Second half of this verse is this that we should encourage each other or warn each other every day so that none of you will be deceived by sin or hardened against God. See, connection provides something that nothing else provides. It provides perspective. See, often we are bad judges of our own lives. Oftentimes we are not the greatest judge of whether we're actually doing well. Anybody the natural pessimist and they're going, man, I'm just blowing it. I'm no good as a mom. I'm no good as a dad. I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good wife. I'm terrible with this or I'm terrible with that. And, and, and we need those people to come in and say, no, you're wrong. Like you're Debbie Downer today. Just forget about that. You're actually doing incredibly well. Do you remember where you started? You've come so far. And there are other times where in my personal life, I've had friends come to me personally and go, hey, you were going so far, but it seems like you're wanting to go back. Those conversations are never comfortable, they're never easy, they're never nice, but they're life-changing, they're necessary, they allow me to do what I do and be the man that God has called me to be, and we need both. 
Because the truth is, the things that turn us to the left or the right away from what God wants us for are what Scripture describes as deceiving. They kind of seem good at a distance. And we need someone to help us watch and know. And the way that we provide that as a church is through the context of groups. And we encourage each and every person here to be a part of groups because through groups, we build those connections. Through groups, people get access to our lives. Through groups, we journey towards God with people on the same mission in the same direction with the same purpose. And so I could tell you all about that, but I'd rather you watch a story. Check this out, a story of a couple here in this church who've seen groups radically impact their life. The time that I first engaged in a group or signed up for a group, I had, you might say, life interrupted. We had uh, been living in the Apex area and at the same time that we needed to move, my parents were also needing to be moved from living independently. I was losing focus, honestly on finding a church and we drifted away during that period of time. My daughter said to me at one point, Mom, I can tell you've been away. I see the difference in the way you think, the way you speak, the actions you take, and that really called loudly to me. My daughter at the same time said to me, you know, I'm in this Bible study and it's women's Bible study on Monday nights. and." I would love it if you'd come and join me in my group. It was not scary for me at all. I, it's my personality to not be scared by a group. I'm attracted to groups. So when I was asked to engage by my daughter again in a group, it was like an old friend and I came to it readily, especially since she told me what she saw in me. We were going to Life Point and first you know, I was just going to church every once in a while. And then I decided to, well, to be more part of church. So I signed up to work in the cafe. And I felt like, oh, okay, I'm doing something, growing a little bit. Barb kept on thinking, saying, well, you want to go to our couples group? And I said, no, no, I'm not ready. And think, well, what was a group? Well, to me, you know, it was a group of people that kind of got around and talked about the Bible and they were really experienced at the Word. So I was kind of a little scared because I wasn't there. But then I also heard in one of the messages, you know, that you have to step forward and He will meet you. And it kind of made me think I needed to be a little bit more. I wanted to start making God part of my life seven days a week. And I thought one of those ways would be to join a group and see what they were all about and things of that nature. You talk about uh, when you join a group, how it grows you. I realize it's not about knowing everything, but it's to keep practicing and keep going and keep learning. It's to contribute whatever that I feel I can at that point in time on whatever we're talking about. You know, I, I can't think of an area in my life that I haven't grown in because of being in a group. How I think, how I speak, and how I act, it's all grown. My marriage 
is so much better because of ways I've changed. Well, I don't know what my life would be like. I think it, I can only imagine it would be so fulfilling. It's got me to look even to doing some simple little things like reading the verse of the day on my app. My life would be empty and disconnected and uh, not nearly as peaceful. It lends a stability and a peace and a, a, a joy um, that I wouldn't have without my group. So it'd be a real mess in other words. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We often fail to know in the moment how big an impact our relationships, our connections with others make. It takes the duration of a life to really experience that life change for the long haul. So you don't know. You don't know what people are waiting for you to invest into their lives because they desperately need you through a group. And you don't know how often you may need those very same people to help you become the man or the woman that God has always designed you to be. So if you want to connect with a group, you're interested, you just want to know what they're all about, you can grab that connect card and mark groups on the bottom and drop them in the connect card boxes when you leave. You can talk to our groups director who's hanging out in the lobby, Cindy, or you can even uh, go ahead and speak to our connect team there and they can help you get some information about that as well.